Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The main purpose in our current series has been to inspire you to aspire to a life of increasing integrity, what we might actually call across-the-board integrity. The word integrity means the state of being whole or undivided, or simply to have an undivided heart. So we have been considering ways that we can increase our integrity levels in every area of life, not just the ones that come to us most naturally, not just the ones that are most visible or most convenient. A couple of weeks ago, I used an example of a man who said he didn't hire a job applicant because the person didn't pass the integrity test. When I asked about that, I realized that his integrity test amounted to, if your strengths are the same as my strengths, then you've got integrity. Well, biblical integrity covers a much wider range than that. That's why we're calling for across-the-board integrity. We're challenging you to pursue integrity in every area, not only the way in which you pay your bills or do your job, but the way you speak to people, the way you keep promises, the way you maintain your spiritual life, the way you surf the Internet or watch TV, your financial priorities, and so on. The simple truth is that everyone here today has room for improvement in at least some of these areas, if not all of them. Biblical integrity begins with the willingness to challenge yourself in every area across the board. Last week we read these verses from Psalm 119. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I'd not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. That's the pain of pursuing integrity. We go through these uncomfortable moments when we have to face up to the fact that the way things are is not the way things ought to be. When we see God's standard of holiness, which is God's way of saying, this is who you can be, and compare that with who we are today, many times we're put to shame. But this self-evaluation is a necessary step in the process. If a coach wants his losing team to start winning games, he has to start evaluating the team's performance and his performance, and he has to start making adjustments and fixing mistakes. That's how you get better. The road to integrity the road to holiness, the road to obedience is much the same. It's the process of evaluating your performance and making the necessary adjustments and corrections to your behavior. There is, however, one notable difference. It's a big difference, and it's a good difference. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is you don't do this on your own. It's not by your strength or your own wisdom that you become Christ-like. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through you. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul also said in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Paul is saying that he gives you the desire to do right and the power to do right. What's your role in the process? Well, very simply, you just show up. You present yourself to him and follow through on what he calls you to do to the best of your God-given ability. There is a sense in which the pursuit of integrity is your responsibility. I mean, you do everything you can possibly do to make it happen. 
and there's a sense in which the pursuit of integrity is placed entirely in God's hands, so that the process of becoming a person of integrity is a work that the Holy Spirit accomplishes through you. This is one way of saying it. If you'll do everything you can, God will do everything you can't. Across the board, integrity happens only as an answer to prayer. You may be able to master one or two areas of your own, maybe three or four, but if you want to be a person of integrity in every area of life that matters, you need God's help. The good news is he's promised to do it. He promised to conform us, to help us become more and more like Jesus if we yield ourselves to him every day. Today we're going to look at another section of Psalm 119 in which David suggests this approach to integrity. He talks about seven things that are necessary for the person of integrity, and he presents every item on the list to God as a request. God, help me be this kind of person. Now, usually my messages contain three points, but today we're going to have a sale, seven points for the price of three. These seven items make up an integrity checklist. These are your basic system requirements. In order for integrity to work in your life, these are the seven qualities you need to develop through God's help. First, pray that God will give you understanding. In verses 33 and 34, it says, Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. I know many of you know that there are some laws in the books that just don't seem to make sense. Every state has a few. Most were made years ago, and eventually they were forgotten, but they're still on the books. For example, in Texas, it's against the law for anyone to have a pair of pliers in his or her possession. Alaska laws <clears throat> says that you can't look at a moose from an airplane. I guess you can shoot one, but you just can't look at it. In, in Corpus Christi, Texas, it is illegal to raise alligators in your home. In Miami, it's forbidden to imitate an animal. It's against the law to mispronounce the name of the state of Arkansas in that state. California law prohibits a woman from driving a car while dressed in a housecoat. In Memphis, Tennessee, a woman is not to drive a car unless a man warns approaching motorists or pedestrians by walking in front of the car that's being driven. Well, there's a whole lot more like that. Uh, one of my favorites is in Minnesota, it's against the law to tease a skunk. Uh, never a good idea. All of these laws were put on the books for a reason, and probably a good reason at the time. Some may seem arbitrary, but there's probably some solid reasoning behind each. Now, if you've ever been a parent, you've probably laid down the law with your kids, and they ask why, and you've probably been tempted to say, because I said so, that's why. You may say that out of ex exasperation, uh, but you uh, know that there's more to it than that. You make an, and enforce rules in your household because it's for the good of the child or the good of the family or the good of society, and there's a reason behind each one. When my kids were young, I noticed that when they understood the reasoning behind a certain rule, it was easier for them to follow it. Now, God is not a because-I-said-so-that's-why God. Neither are his laws silly or arbitrary. There's a reason behind each, and I can guarantee you in each case, it's for your good and the good of others. So David prays, God, help me to understand the meaning of your laws and your commands, because the better I understand, the better I am able to obey. Second, we pray for consistency. Verse 35 says, help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. 
You know, the best fitness program is whichever program you will do every day. If you want to create financial stability and financial security in your life, then you have to be consistent in the way you work, spend, and save, and invest. It has to be like clockwork. Every time you get paid, you do the same thing. It's also that works that way in the spiritual life. Spiritual growth and spiritual power are the result of the daily habit of spiritual disciplines, like prayer and Bible study and fellowship and worship and service. There are many Christians whose life consists of bouncing from one spiritual high to the next. At this retreat or this conference or this concert or this camp, and I've known people whose lifelong spiritual journey has consisted of being up one week and down the next, on fire for a month, then as cold as ice for a month, and it's this way year after year after year after year. <clears throat> this lack of spiritual consistency limits you from experiencing the blessings of God in your life, and it limits you in being a blessing to others. Of the seven qualities that we'll cover today, this one is the hardest, because you just can't fake consistency. Neither can you get there on pure adrenaline or the momentum of emotion. The only way to develop consistency is to consistently do the same thing, the right thing, day after day after week after week after month after month, year after year, and even decade after decade. No matter what your spiritual progress has looked like up to this point, it's never too late to start being consistent. Pick one area in which inconsistency is beating you and decide for the next seven days that you'll take your best swing at it. Now, you may be inconsistent uh, in every area, but for now, just pick one. Maybe it's daily Bible reading. Um, maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's taking time for your spouse. But pick one area and decide that you will take a bite out of it every day for the next seven days. At the end of those seven days, see how it feels. Well, developing consistency isn't easy. And the truth is, you never arrive. Every waking day you have to go at it again. But there is no integrity without it. But when you finally get a handle on a certain area that has been dogging you for years, it feels good. That's why David said, help me stay on the path of your commands for I take pleasure in it. Third, you need to pray that God will give you contentment. Verse 36, turn my heart to your decrees and not to material gain. Immanuel Kant said, we are not rich by what we possess, by what by what we can but by what we can do without when there exists something uh, that you cannot do without your integrity will always be at risk if you are more motivated to accumulate things than to be used by God then your integrity will always be at risk now understand there's nothing wrong with owning things but there is power in knowing that you don't need things Paul said in Philippians 4 I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. David prays in effect, Lord, give me that kind of contentment. Take away the desire for material things and help me focus on you, because you are all I need. Pray that, and that God will give you contentment. Here's the next thing. Pray that God will give you discernment. Verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. 
Has there ever been a goal that you pursued which later proved to be a waste of time? I'm not talking about worthy goals that fell flat. I'm talking about foolish pursuits like getting into a relationship you should have never gotten into or spending money that you should never have spent or chasing after things that you should never have chased. In hindsight, we see what a waste of time that was, how much better it would be if we could see it beforehand. David says, Lord, when a road leads to nowhere, help me recognize it before I get on that road. I like how David said, turn my eyes from looking. I have learned that the longer you look at a worthless thing, the easier it is to fool yourself into thinking it's not such a bad idea. That's why when someone is trying to persuade you to make a shady investment, they'll say, oh, you don't have to decide today. You just come and listen to our presentation. Just think about it. Uh, just imagine what it would be like to get this kind of return on your money. And before you know it, they've got you. In order for us to live lives of integrity, we need discernment. We need to be able to recognize beforehand that this road doesn't lead anywhere good. Pray for that kind of discernment. Fifth, we need to pray for reassurance. Verse 38 says, Confirm what you have said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that we're moving in the right direction. When I'm traveling somewhere, I really appreciate roadside reminders along the way. When you're navigating your way through heavy traffic, it's good to be assured that every now and then that you're still on the right path. We need the same kind of reassurance spiritually. At least I do. And the good news is, so did David. I ask God to confirm for me again and again and again so that I will never lose sight of where he is leading me. The more I'm reminded of all he's done for me, the more I want to worship him. So pray for reassurance. And sixth, pray that God will give you victory. Verse 39, turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. I like the way this verse reads in the New Living Translation. Help me abandon my shameful ways. This verse gives us insight into what should be our attitude toward sinful behavior. David talks about turning away from the disgrace that he dreads and abandoning his shameful ways. This should tell us something. If sin is something you dread, then you're making progress on the road to integrity. If it is still something you anticipate, something you treasure, then you've got some praying to do. God can't begin to give you a victory over sin until you develop the right attitude towards sin. <clears throat> the truth is that, too often, we're not all that ashamed. Yeah, I gossip a little, but nobody's perfect. Yeah, I can fly off the handle sometimes, but that's just how I am. Yeah, I had a little moral slip-up, but I'm only human. But friends, until you learn to dread, you will not even begin to walk the path to victory. Pray that God will give you victory. In seventh, we need to pray that God will give us endurance. Verse 40, how I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. The NIV says it like this, preserve my life in your righteousness. Now there's a difference between perseverance and preservation. Of course, we strive to persevere, to stay in the battle until the very end. But I learned a long time ago that the only way I can persevere is if God preserves me. We need to hang on to him and we need him to hang on to us. Our lives are nothing without him. We need his life 
flowing through us. So we pray, God, pour your life-giving spirit into me. Live through me. Keep me safe. You're all the hope I have. Biblical integrity, all-encompassing across-the-board integrity, comes only in answer to prayer. This is not something you can accomplish on your own. Integrity is not just your public persona. It's more than just how others perceive you. It goes much deeper than your most visible habits, down to the very core of who you are. In this series, we've talked about how integrity is a process, a lifelong journey. That integrity is fueled by a one-on-one -on -one relationship to God. It's a partnership between God and you. As you seek Him and as you study His Word, He teaches you what integrity is. He inspires you to move toward it, and He empowers you to experience it. What should we do then? Every day, let's seek God's face. Let's open his word to hear his voice. And let's ask him to give us what it takes to live a life of across-the-board integrity. May God bless us all in that pursuit. And until the next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.